Well, good morning, everybody. I want to give a special welcome to those joining us online and listening on podcasts, perhaps. And I want to give a special shout out to the Granati family and the Swathwood family. So they're joining us. Uh, Scott, I think he's at home. So here's a picture. There's Scott and Sharon from their hospital room. And uh, to recap the story, for some of you who may not be up to speed, uh, both the Granatis and Swathbids have been, Swathwoods have been longtime part of the Eagle family. This past Wednesday, Scott gave one of his kidneys to Sharon. And uh, on Friday, Scott walked out of the hospital. So that shows you how well Scott is doing as a whole. Beth and crew are here today, so you can ask Beth directly how Scott's doing. But overall, he's doing really well in his recovery efforts. Sharon is still down at the hospital. I think Mike and Sharon and some of their crew are joining us from the hospital room. And to be expected, right, her recovery is going to be a little bit lengthier Um, But all signs are pointing really, really well. So when I got to visit both of them on Friday at the hospital, they both looked amazing. But when I walked into Sharon's room, what I noticed right away was a complete change in the color of her face. And it just looked so healthy. It looked like the way it's supposed to be. And for those of you who've been walking closely with uh, Sharon and Scott on this journey, Sharon's journey has been exceedingly difficult in the dialysis routine, and it was showing up just in her physical countenance. And literally, Mike said, um, right after she woke up from surgery, it's as if the color in her whole face changed just in the course of receiving that kidney. So what an amazing, right? It was an amazing story of the interdependent nature of the body of Christ and the gift that Scott's giving. And if Scott were here, he'd say, I'm just doing what the Lord asked me to do. So the backdrop, the story behind the story is last July, Scott was sitting in a wedding reception and God just literally spoke to him at this wedding reception table. He's sitting with Sharon's daughter, Jen, and Jen's recapping her mom's journey. And Scott just sensed the Lord saying, I'm supposed to give your mom a kidney. And so he just looked at Jen and says, I'm going to give your mom one of my kidneys. They're like, wait a minute, you don't, you don't even understand, like, all the, all the dominoes that have to line up. So physicians that are in the room, you understand how, right, there's a lot of other steps involved. And so uh, for it to actually get to the point this past Wednesday, and when I saw Scott, he's like, just doing what the Lord asked me to do. And so continue to pray. They're so grateful for your encouragement. I sent out an email, and there's some email addresses in there if you want to drop some personal notes to them. And I look forward to the day, whenever they're back on their feet again, we can have them up here and sitting on the stage and sharing the rest of the story. Won't that be cool to just hear from both of them? But so grateful for your prayers for them. Open up your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3. We're in this ongoing journey through the book of Colossians called The God-Soaked Life. Well, it was several years ago now that uh, Kendra and I took Lily to her first water park experience, and yesterday was prom in Zionsville. For the Simpson household, we're rookies at the prom scene, so dad had a day of adjustment yesterday, let me just say, as all these uh, beautiful girls and these handsome men were descending all over Zionsville, and, and we gathered, and and uh, just amazing, and I think they all had a great time, and several of them are, several girls are sleeping still in our basement, I believe, at the house right now. Um, but I was recalling just standing there and looking at my 17, looking like 21-year-old yesterday, uh, needing to go to the prayer room after that whole scene. Um, <laughs> but I was, um, I was remembering like when Lily was a preschooler, and I remembered the story of when we took her to her first water park experience. And, of course, Dad is eager for his daughter to experience her first ever water slide. 
And Lily, being a preschool girl, was quite intimidated by the water slide most of the day, right? She's like, no, dad, no, dad, no, dad, and that whole scene. But by late afternoon, I think I'd worn her defenses down enough that Kendra is kind of sitting on another part of the water park and just enjoying some quiet space in the sun, and Lily and I are hanging out. And she, Lily says to me, hey, dad, I'll go down that water slide right there. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. So I scooped her up and went up the steps real quick, and I got up to the top of the slide, and the slide attendant, who looked maybe 12, you know, she says to me, she said, well, sir, you can't go down with her. What do you mean I can't go down with her? She goes, you're too big. She has to go down by herself. Thought to myself for a minute, say, all right, let's play this out a little bit here. It's like, by yourself. I said, okay. I said, okay, okay, okay. What I need you to do then, 12-year-old slide attendant, just hold... Hold her, hold Lily right here. Her name's Lily. This is her first water slide experience. She's really excited about it. I said, right, Lily? Lily's looking at me with this borderline terror on her face. And I set her down in the water. You know how the water kind of, you know, shooting out at the top there. I set her down and I said, hold her right here. I'm going to run down the steps. And when I get to the bottom of the slide, I'll catch her. That's like a great plan. So I set her on the slide. And I take off, and I go down the steps, and I'm going down the steps, and I get to the bottom, and as my eyes turn to the pool, I'm getting ready to jump into the bottom pool like to catch her, my eyes look, and I see Lily's two feet sticking straight up out of the water. <laughs> True story. So I jump in the pool. By the time I can get to Lily, and the water's kind of rushing out the bottom of the slide enough, it's keeping her like wedged under the water with her feet just sticking up. And so I get over there, and by now, a mom that I might add, a very condescending look, mom, (laughs) scoops Lily up for me, pulls her up out of the water, turns to me like handing Simba, you know? (laughs) She gives me the, your parental license ought to be revoked look. (laughs) Says, are you the dad? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm the dad, and she hands her over to me. Lily has her hair is completely across all of her face like this. And you know how that back in those preschool days, you know how they just have these long blinks? Like they don't, they can't quite process all that's happened. She's not at the crying stage yet. We're a little bit in the shock stage before the crying stage. You with me? She's completely in that. Like, <laughs> so fast forward now, the scene on the other side of the water park is Kendra. She's stretched out in one of those nice reclining chairs, the sun, the quiet space, believing that her preschool-aged daughter is in the loving care of her father. So I walk back over to Kendra with, with Lily, and so I say, hey, honey, we, had a, we did our first water slide. At this point, I tried to get her hair looking somewhat normal, and she goes, oh, Lily, how was that? Quote, I went down the water slide. Daddy didn't catch me. It was scary. Blink, blink. You know, preschool voice like that. And then Kendra gives me the look like, is that a true statement? (laughs) Parenting, I've entitled, hashtag waterslide. Last week, marriage, hashtag kitchen sink. If you missed last week, you can catch up. But we're at the place in Colossians 3 where Paul is pressing this Christ is all life to the painfully practical areas of our everyday living. Marriage, parenting, and work. That's the latter part of Colossians 3. 
So Paul says, in light of who Christ is, in light of who you are in Him, here's how this should look at home and at work. And if I could only have one conversation related to marriage, I had it last week. Hashtag kitchen sink. This morning, as I put together this talk on parenting, if I could only have one conversation with a set of parents or grandparents or soon-to-be parents or long-to-be parents, if I could only have one conversation with you about this topic of parenting, I would entitle it hashtag waterslide. Because parenting is hard. And we're going to make tons of mistakes. And yet Jesus' grace is sufficient and He will help us. So I know stepping into this topic, I'm very aware that some in the room, this is next to marriage, this is about the least of your favorite topics to engage with. Because here's what I believe about parents. Most of us walk around carrying right under the surface of our lives, we carry this layer of guilt and second guessing. Like, we think we could just do a way better job than we're doing. And I haven't met a parent yet that in the family life center at the hospital is handed this wonderful life, and you look down at them. I haven't met a parent yet that looks down and says, I can't wait to wreck your life. (laughs) None of us want to do that. But all of us secretly as parents, you kind of wonder if you're messing up more than you're kind of getting it wrong more than you're getting it right. And so I just want to say at the front end of this talk, no condemnation today in this room. We're all on the journey together. We're all giving it our best shot. It's really, really hard. We're going to make piles of mistakes, hashtag waterslide, but Jesus will help us. And His grace is sufficient. And He will help make up the gap, right? And by His grace, we might see a generation of young people grow up who love Him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength who passionately follow and serve Him, who what I'm calling this morning Colossian children. So I want to give you kind of a three, three anchors to the journey of building Colossian children. And these are the three. If I could only talk about three things related to parenting, these are the three. And here's how Paul gets into it in Colossians 3, verse 20 and following. He says, children... Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And every parent loves to have their kids memorize this verse like super early in the process. So all the children in the room listening or listening later, all of our prom entourage who will be listening to this message sometime much later in the day or later in the week, here's your kind of one sentence biblical uh, directive to children is to honor and obey your parents. Don't make their job harder than it already is. Now, parents, the next sentence is for us. Fathers, notice he calls out dads, but moms, you're not off the hook in this equation either. But look, Paul calls out dads. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And the word embitter there means to provoke, irritate, or stir up. So some kids listening to this right now are going, amen, to that one. Irritate, stir up, right? Our role as parents isn't to go that route with the equations, but instead 
to encourage them, to exhort them, to urge them to live lives worthy of the Lord, which Paul gets at to the letter in the Thessalonians. And so what we're going to do today, just kind of step into these three principles under three anchor points for building a Christian marriage, Christian parenting. So you can go about building a household without Christ. There's a lot of parenting that goes on where Jesus isn't at the center, but Paul's writing a letter, and we're in the church of Jesus to say, if you want to go about this God's way, what are three anchor points to building Colossians' children? And the first one is this, that Christian parenting is committed to grounding our kids in a vision of God. So the first anchor point for us as moms and dads when we think about raising up a generation is this theology anchor point. It's what Tozer said. The most important thing about us is what we think about God. Now, if we really believe that as parents, then the application to this is this is the most important offensive energy burst we can give on the parenting circle, is to give our kids a clear vision of who God is, of who Christ is, of what matters most to Him, of what does life look like lived with Him. What about the cross? What about the resurrection? What about the character of God? Do, are, we, are we helping our kids grow up with a vision of all that God is for us in Jesus? This is the first anchor point for moms and dads. Now, interestingly enough, in the Bible, there are not, there are not many examples of good parenting. Most of the biblical examples of parenting are in the category of hashtag waterslide. Like, they're just examples of how we mess it up and we get it wrong and it's really hard and yet God's grace is sufficient and He will help us. But most of the examples are where things kind of fell in the gaps and fell on their face and the generations didn't grow up to honor God. And so there's very few examples to turn to. Even Jesus' own parents lost Jesus when he was 12, which I love that story because every parent has had that terrifying moment when you don't know where your kid is, right? And it kind of goes from, okay, that's just kind of a minor issue. And then about five minutes or so in, it raises a level. And then like 10 minutes in, you're like, you're, at, you're, at, you're ready to go off the ra- how about Jesus' parents? I'm like, hey, I feel a lot better if Mary and Joseph could lose Jesus for many, many hours. We shouldn't feel bad, mom and dad, when you lose track of your kiddo. 5, 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes. Some of you run around the church these days. By the way, have you figured out it's a really big building around here and these kids know exactly where to hide? So some of you have had that anxiety right here in this very building. They know all the little nooks and crannies to get away from you. But Genesis says it like this, we're created in God's image, right? Genesis 1.27, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The Latin phrase is imago Dei. So every young life you're entrusted with, grandparents, parents, every young life you're entrusted with is stamped with the imago Dei. Application is, one of the best gifts we can give these young lives is a clear understanding of who God is because they're made in His image, which means this, the better our kids get to know God, the better they'll understand who they are. Do you realize that all the other ologies of this world got their grounding in theology? So sociology, psychology, zoology, anthropology. Do you know they all get their origins in Genesis 1 theology, in the beginning God? The best way to understand who you are and this world that you've wo- you woke up in and are living your life in, the best, most rational, realistic position for all of that is Genesis 1. It's the most scientifically grounded position, Genesis 1. 
and to give our kids a vision of the God who gave them life and the Savior who gave them grace. That's number one at the top of the stack for us, mom and dad. We got to do whatever we got. We got to move mountains to make sure that's happening. And so for the last 17 years, in our household anyway, and we're by far not perfect, we got plenty of hashtag water slide. That's why I entitled it this morning this way. Just ask Kendra. She can give you plenty more of those. But we have attempted two priorities under this one that I want to just kind of mention briefly here. Scripture and church have been central to this for us in our 17-year run at this. So Scripture is so important for our kids because this is primarily how God is revealed to us. So God's revealed himself in the pages of a book. So knowing him is going to involve devotion and understanding to this God-breathed book. It doesn't mean you need to be a PhD in reading. It just means you need to help your kids understand that God has revealed his character, who he is, how this life works, how lives that honor him work, what does it mean when you step outside the bounds, like all of that's revealed in a book. So early on, you want to help your kids early on get familiar and comfortable with the stories in this book. And some of you as parents have found the children's Bible books, you're sitting there going, man, I wish I would have had this years ago, because that's way better than what Pastor Eric's talking about on Sundays, because you're like the children's book, like you, you know, you tuck your kids in at night and go, that made a whole lot more sense than that sequence of sermons did. Those children's storybooks, that's where we started with our kiddos. There's kind of this preschool storybook. There's like the early childhood stories, you know, where there are pictures and little summary of the whole, kind of the big picture of the Bible. That's where you start with your kids. You give them a big picture of the storyline of the Bible, of how God made this world and everything in it and who they are and how they're made in His image and who Jesus is. And you're just getting the big stories in place. And we would start that kind of at night, tucking them into bed and reading the stories to them. And then as they got into their a little more kind of that preschool into early elementary, we got them a next stage Bible, kind of that elementary school Bible where they're beginning to read more. And then we just kind of allowed them to begin to read some of the stories. And then we'd ask questions along the way. And then Dad had this crazy idea where I think they were, I think Lily was probably seven or eight when I had this idea. I said, hey, I said, honey, let's, let's do something at the dinner table now. You know why the peas are flying around and the beans and all the chaos at the dinner table? I said, at some point in the dinner discussion, just a few times a week, I want to do like a life lessons, life lessons with dad discussion. She looked at me like that's not going to go very well, but we did it anyway. And it was fun. We just had a good discussion. We just started in, and it turned into life lessons with mom and dad, which when Lily got a little bit older, it turned into, I remember the day when Lily said, hey, when do I get to do life lessons with Lily? Yeah, I told her, I said, well, you need to live a little more life first. That's what I told her. But no, then we let her, we let her start, like, what she started doing then, what she started bringing into the discussion was something she'd been reading. Because all along the way, you're trying to get them comfortable with being in God's Word and reading it on their own. And so it was just another way where we just tried to bring in family discussion. I would just raise a question. We kept the questions anchored on this. What does this passage in the Bible or story in the Bible reveal about who God is? Real simple. What is it showing us about who God is? And what is this showing us about what life lived with Him looks like? That's it. And we just talk about that. And many a nights, you didn't think anything at all was going on productive in the midst of all the other chaos that happens at family meals when the kids are young. But you just stay at it. 
And then along the way, we continue, right? We just kind of, as they grew in their development, we just kind of resourced them with the appropriate Bibles and thankful that we have a congregation here and a church so devoted. So Scripture flows right into church, right? So the, the reason I'm so fired up about Eagle Kids ministry around here and why I want your kids to be a part of what's going on in the lower level week after week is do you realize that over the course of three years, your kiddos here will go from Genesis to Revelation? And some of you are saying, I don't want to sign up for that. Well, you can with your kids, and they'll be teaching you a lot. That's happening in some of your homes right now. Like, they're instructing you on some of the biggers. Isn't that, isn't that great? Like, they're guiding you. They're asking you questions. They're bringing up things related. That's wonderful. And that's why I love it. That's why I think it's such a big deal for us to prioritize regular participation on Sundays. If even if, even if the music up here you're not connecting with, even if the sermons are boring you to death, even if the blue chair's too hard for you, whatever it is, do you know what? Even more important than all that is come because your kiddos are going to be grounded in a vision of who God is. It's the most important offensive energy burst we can give as parents. And the church doesn't replace what you're doing at home. It just facilitates and assists. It helps you. And so there's this partnership we have together. But we need you to work with us. We work with you, right? Church and home, we work together. And unfortunately, the trends are that, you know, regular church attendance continues to go down and down and down. About two out of four now Sundays is kind of like regulars anymore. And that's not healthy for our kids. I don't think if I ask the kids, it's the kids saying early in the mornings, I don't want to go to church. I don't go to church. I think it's the kids tugging at mom and dad. Hey, let's go to church. Let's go to church. And there's some other decisions conflicting on it. And so I think it's up for us, right, to step back and say, are we prioritizing some type of a vision of God's Word, because that's how they're going to get a picture of who He is, and then regular participation in the life of the body? Because as important as all the other activities are, and listen, we've all got them converging on our schedule, especially this time of year, right? Spring, weather's going to break, by God's grace, sometime before June, Right? <laughs> In the north here, we're going to get some form of a spring, and all the sports are getting kicked off. Extracurricular activities, sports, and arts, and academics, all those things are important. And you want your kids to develop. We want our kids to develop. Kaylin just started tennis, and she's learning piano from Miss Tamara, and Lily's running cross-country. We're trying to balance those activities. We want them to experience those things, but we think something is more important than all of that. And that's this, getting a vision of who God is. And for them, understanding their identity in Christ, that's more important. That's more important than their GPA to us. So if that means, you know, the homework load, as big as it is in this area of the country, there are some times, you know what, we're going to prioritize, Lily, you're going to go to your life group, even though you really need to invest a couple more hours in this homework. You know why? Because your life group relationships are more important. And you know what, we're not going to step into that sports scene over there, because that looks like it just kind of takes over our whole life and like 17 straight Sundays and all that. We're just not, that's not as important to us as our kids being grounded here Sunday after Sunday and experiencing the life of the body here. So it's not that those other things aren't important. What I'm saying to you is I believe God's Word says there are some things that are more important, gang, and we have to prioritize that. And listen, where I started, parenting's hard. We're not always going to get it right, but Jesus will help us. His grace is sufficient. And I think our role here is to, hey, theology, we've got to prioritize this. And it starts with us at home. Second anchor point for prioritizing 
training our children to see ourselves as God sees them in Christ. I love what Robbie said. I think I put this in your notes. If you haven't pulled out your notes, you can pull them up on the app too, and you can download them that way. Here's what Robbie says. Until we see ourselves, follow this now, until we see in ourselves the uniqueness of God's touch, we will always want to be someone else, and we will live under the illusion that being someone else would be better. Wow, that's loaded right there. So do you see why theology is so important? Theology moves into identity. So you move from giving them a vision of who God is, because by the way, that's how they're going to understand who they are. You don't start helping your kids understand who they are. You start helping them understand who God is because they're made in His image. So that means you're going to understand who you are by understanding who He is. So you give them a vision of who God is, theology. And then that moves into an identity. You help them be grounded in who they are in Christ. When they look in the mirror, do they see themselves as God sees them in Jesus? And there are two Hebrew words for the development of children here that I found very helpful through the years. And I put them in your notes. Two Hebrew words for children. Taf, which is like child clinging to its mother. Think preschool years pre-adolescent, and then nar, N-A-A-R, nar, one who shakes himself or herself free. Think adolescence into teen years. So there's, these, there's this TAF work that goes on. Do you know what the TAF stage of parenting is filled with? The TAF stage of parenting is filled with mainly behavior management. You're just working on setting boundaries and getting them to follow the boundaries. Some of you as moms and dads feel the weight of this, and you're so exhausted by this because I learned a couple weeks ago that the average children, the average child asks 125 questions a day. Wow, some of you are like, yeah, right? Some of you are like, by noon. The average adult asks six per day. And I, when I read that, I thought, yeah, because we're so wiped out from the 125, I got no energy to ask anything else, right? But you see in, the, in this TAF stage, in this this one kind of clinging and identity to their parents, there's this phase where we're, we're primarily in the preschool years setting the fences and boundaries around our kids, and we spend a lot of time coaching simple behavior like do this and don't do this, and you just exhaust yourself doing that. And your number one response to all the why questions, right, when your preschooler is asking you, why do I need to, the universal parent response is what? Because I said so. You're right. And then you give them Colossians 3 right there and say, children, obey your parents, for this is right. But track with me now. There's a transition stage. So your early childhood years, that's normal. It's part of their development where you're working on just kind of fences and boundaries and do's and don'ts, a lot of behavior work there. Here's the transition from Taft to Nar, from this early preschool, early elementary into adolescence, kind of that pre-adolescence, that 10, 12, 14, there'll be a distinct transition here where here's what we've got to do as parents. We've got to move from behavior-oriented coaching and training to identity-oriented coaching and training. We've got to help them ground themselves in who they really are because ultimately, here's what we know as adults, our behaviors flow out of our identity. Actions come from identity. Based on who you are shapes how you're going to live. And so I wrote down a few like this. So practically, so here's what you do. You say, 
you're, you're teaching your kids in the transition from Taft to Nar. Here's what you're doing. You're helping them understand you're a child of God. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's an identity thing. You with me? You're a child of God, and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, here's the action that flows from that. Therefore, you don't pollute or mistreat your body or anyone else's. You see that? So identity, you help them ground, and then you let the action flow out of that. Another identity, you're the light of the world. Jesus says you're a light in this world. Therefore, the action is, therefore, your choices ought to represent Christ well today. Do you see identity and action? Identity and action. So this is who you are, therefore, this is how you live. That's Paul's writings. That's like the Apostle Paul's, that's, his, that's like a poster child comment on Apostle Paul's writing technique. This is who you are, Ephesians 1, 2, 3. This is how you live, Ephesians 4, 5, 6. This is who you are, Colossians 1, 2. This is how you live, Colossians 3, 4. Taff, this is kind of, you're grounding them, you're coaching them on behavior stuff in those or pre-adolescent, and then you get into adolescence and you move to NAR, you move to identity, and you help them become more comfortable with who they are and who God says they are in Christ so that their actions flow forth from that identity. Are you tracking with me here? This is really significant. And, and parents, you're like, well, how do I know when that's occurring? There's usually kind of a marker event or two that happens to you. It's like the dashboard lights on parenting are like, wait, this child is changing on all kinds of fronts here, and I need to catch up. They're usually a step or two ahead of us. Figure that out too. Mom and dad, they're like right out there and you're trying to catch up with them. So for my mom and dad, this event occurred, I was probably 10 or 11. My younger brother, that would have put my younger brother Brad at eight or nine. And we had our favorite babysitter named Linda. She was amazing. We always wanted Linda to come. She brought like a suitcase full of all the cool activities. She was cool to hang out with with boys. She understood the boy world well. And so we're like, get Linda to come. So mom and dad were going out and they left us with Linda and, we, and Brad and I had planned all day long. We're like, hey, we got cops and robbers. We got this huge kind of big thing planned out for cops and robbers. And we had all the gear set out for her. And Linda was all in right when she got there. She's like, yeah, I'm all in. Well, this is back like, in, you know, back in the late 70s and early 80s, like the, the handcuffs, they were real metal, legit. And we talked Linda into putting her hands behind her back. And we cuffed her with the metal handcuffs. And we were playing the game. We were having fun. And she was playing along. And then there came that moment. She's like, hey, guys, you need to uncuff me now. I need to kind of get supper ready and stuff like that. And Brad looked at me. And I looked at him. And we realized we got no idea where the key is. And we dug around a little bit. And we realized, yeah, we didn't really think this one through very well. That would be the Taft stage, not into the NAR stage. And so 15 minutes goes by, and Linda's face is getting increasingly red, and she's starting to panic. Pre-cell phone days, there are no cell phones back then, and she's still handcuffed behind. And then Brad and I started thinking about, this could be a really good night. Like, so I called my grandma and grandpa, and my grandpa comes to the house with his large bolt cutters, I mean huge bolt cutters. He comes to the front door. 15, 20 minutes or so goes by. He comes to the front door and I answer the door and he's like, hey, it's like you guys are having a good time with the babysitter tonight. That's all. <laughs> My grandpa was so proud of us. It was the best. <laughs> I'm so glad grandpa came and not grandma, you know. 
<laughs> Grandpa came. He was so proud of us. He was like high-fiving us. And, and then he takes the cutters and cuts Linda out of the handcuffs. And about two hours later, when mom and dad got home, we transitioned from NAR back to TAF. <laughs> we went right from, because the transition is from learner to decider. We were working, we're going to make some decisions. We're going to like be in charge of some things. Mom transitioned us back from the decider back to the learner phase right there. And we all have these moments in our parenting with our kids where it's like they're transitioning. You kind of need to empower and entrust them into some more decider-oriented stuff. And so to help practically, a couple things I tried to do as a dad practically through this phase, when the girls were like seven or eight, I gave them like a ring, went out and got just kind of a simple ring, not super expensive because I knew they were probably going to lose it at some point at seven or eight, but, and I called it the ring of identity. And I just wrote a little, I just wrote a little paragraph for them, and I just read to them how I saw God saw them in Jesus. And I wanted when they wore this ring to remember this is who God sees when he sees you. And I wrote some things in the letter like they're deeply loved by their heavenly father, loved greatly by their earthly father, they're fearfully and wonderfully made, they're chosen, accepted, and called in Christ. And then I used a line out of Psalm 144, like a pillar carved to adorn a palace. Now, I've just got two girls, so all you guys, all of us boys, you're going to have to do some translation today, because all I've got to offer you is my journey of 17 years with girls. So our oldest is 17, and Kaylin is 13. So... But you can translate into the, the guy language, and you can ask like Mr. Lange Bartles over here who raised like a whole army of boys. So, <laughs> But that was just at seven or eight. So I'm just trying to give you some practical ideas like kind of a ring of identity was a marker for us, and that was, that was a neat way of doing it. And then another thing, I want to show you a picture of when they turned 10, I went out and bought these Bibles. So Lily was the first one, Lily's the blue and green one, and Kaylin was the pink one. And what I did was I spent... I spent the whole year when they were 10, so 10, and I presented it at their 11th birthday. So you need to picture Pastor Eric carrying around, especially Kaylin's, that really bright pink one. I carried that around for a whole year. It was super cool, like on the Colts Away Trip planes, that was a really cool thing. The guys would like walk by my seat and see me carrying. They're like, hey, nice Bible, Rev. <laughs> yeah, looking pretty good. What was I doing that whole year? I read through the scriptures that year with Lily or with Kalen in mind, and I just made some personal notes to them through the year. Now listen, you don't need to be a pastor or a biblical scholar to do this. You just need to be immersed in God's Word and just share the things that God is speaking to you about as you're reading through the Scriptures related to them. I wrote little prayers that I prayed for them. I highlighted passages that have helped me through the years. I drew attention to stuff that I thought maybe just helpful for them to know. Hey, pay attention to this or this stood out to me. And I just tried to affirm and I went through it mainly the journey of Toph to, to Nar. I went more on identity-oriented commentary. And just this past week, it was so cool. Wednesday night after EHR, got home, I don't know, 9.15 or so, and Kendra just tucked the girls into bed, and I went up just to say goodnight to them, ask about their days, and I went into both of their rooms and to see both of them in their beds with those Bibles. That meant a lot to Dad. And then sometimes they'll say to me, hey, Dad, I read this note. I read this little note that you put above this psalm, or I read this note you put above this passage. That was really helpful, Dad. My prayers, I mean, I hope they keep that Bible their whole life. I don't know, it would be a treasure. I know if, if my dad would have done something like that for me, I just think of how meaningful that would be. Or moms, you can do this. This isn't restricted just to dads. And some of you are like, oh, my kids, I missed the window. You can still do that for your grown children. I don't know a grown child who wouldn't value this. 
When I sit with families who have grieved loved ones, you know one of the most treasured possessions they get is when they find that family member's Bible and they find their notes and they look in their notes and what do you see? You see their heart. And that means so much. And so I'm just trying to give you some practical things that you can do. So moms and dads, maybe you can kind of prioritize a certain year in the development you see for them. Get it. Hey, you know, if it takes you more than a year, fine. You're like, oh, Simpson, I could never do that in a year. Takes you two years, who cares? 18 months, two years, you can do this. Just start reading. Now listen, I didn't have a lot of notes in Leviticus. I was tough. There's some tough sledding in there. I think I put at the top of one of the pages in Leviticus to Lily. I think, Lily, God cares a lot about details. That's all. <laughs> Just know God's really in the details. Skin infections and bodily discharges. I'm like, oh, Lord, what am I going to say to her about this, you know? And I just try to put just little meaningful and then little summaries of the book at the beginning. You could just write a little one or two sentence summary of like, what's Philippians about? Or what's the Gospel of John about? And just who wrote it? And just a little backdrop. And then they could hopefully have all in the groundings of. So our first vision, right, is what? Help our kids get a vision of who God is, theology. And then the second anchor point for Colossian-type children raising up is train them to see themselves as God sees them in Christ. This is identity. So you got theology, you got identity, and now thirdly is formation. It's the character formation element, and I wrote it this way, modeling a person that's spiritually alive. I think this is a key part for us in Christian parenting. And I wrote some notes here, where I just said, hey, you know, the primary way that our kids are going to grow up to learn how to trust God and walk with God and pray and obey Him, do you know the primary way they're going to learn how to do that is watching mom and dad do that? Now, if that doesn't keep us on our knees at some level, I don't know what will. Or watching grandma and grandpa do that, right? That somewhere along the way, the way they're going to like connect it together, oh, that's what it means to worship God. Oh, that's what it means to trust God. Oh, that's what it means to doubt. Oh, that's what it means to be scared. Oh, how are they going to figure all this out? By watching us. So I wrote some questions down for myself. I pass along to you. Do my kids hear me say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Hashtag water slide. Do my kids watch me walk through painful and difficult times? You know, as the kids got a little bit older, I tried to become more intentional at the life lessons with dad. I transitioned into sharing some more of the difficult parts of just life in this world, because life's hard, and I didn't want to shelter our kids from that. So I would, maybe it would be an email from a situation going on at church or from a missionary setting overseas, and I would just read it about that, and it was some, sometimes some really hard stuff. I said, what are we going to do with this? Well, we're going to pray, and we're going to trust God, and, and it was just good dialogue, and I think that's an important part of, of us modeling what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Do my kids see me carving out time for the things that matter the most? Do my kids hear laughter in the home, like just enjoying the sacrament of the present moment? You know, one of the challenges for us as parents, right, is just to be where our feet are, especially in those younger years, and just to be present with them and not be 10 other places, but just to be right there. Do my kids see me interacting with people the way Jesus would? And do my kids hear me open up about doubts and fears? You know, that's central to developing faith, by the way. Like, Taking your doubts and your fears and your uncertainties is a big part of how faith gets cultivated in life. So if you're not really pressing into that with the kids, they're kind of missing out on that development. So talk about the times when you're struggling through that and you're doubting some things, you're scared about some things, you're uncertain about some things, that trapeze-type picture, right, where you relinquish one bar and you're hanging suspended in the air. Age-appropriate ways, talk about that because that's real life. You know that's what they're going to run into. Just keep living. You'll run into this. 
And this is modeling a person spiritually alive. So simply, the practical application on this third point, this is probably the easiest one. Just live. That's this point. Just live. Live your everyday ordinary life in Jesus, with Jesus, for Jesus, and through Jesus. That's all you do, mom and dad. Just live. And your kids are watching, and they're learning, and they're growing, and that ought to be humbling. And listen, parenting's hard. We're not always going to get it right. We're going to make plenty of mistakes, but Jesus will help us. His grace will be with us. And so just live. And out of your living, formation comes. That's why if people in counseling settings, I often say to couples, two decisions in my life have created more character formation in Christ than any other decisions I've made. Number one, getting married. Number two, having kids. That's driven a dagger in the heart of self more than anything else in my life. And praise God for this idea. It was God's idea. He had this idea of how he's going to get Christ-like character forged in people. And he's like, I got a wonderful idea. I'm going to create a family. Whoo, that's going to really, that's going to be a crucible. That's going to just mold and shape, and it's going to forge all kinds of things. You see that? And that's the gift of what it means. Christian marriage and Christian parenting, you do it with Jesus. So it's hashtag kitchen sink with Jesus, and it's hashtag water slide with Jesus. Amen, right? When we don't get it right, but He's there to help us. And then we talk about it, and then we apologize, and then we get back on, and we just keep at it. And it's a long obedience in one direction, mom and dad. It's long, one direction. Just stay at it. Be steadfast, immovable. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Abounding in the work, knowing your labor's not in vain. Just stay at it. There's a whole lot more going on than you realize. And we just keep our hands to these plows. Theology, a vision of God. Identity, seeing, helping our kids see themselves as God sees them in Jesus. And formation, modeling what it means to be fully alive spiritually. Or at least alive to some degree spiritually. Living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I gave you a little chart help you pray maybe. That's just a little chart that's helped me through the years. Those are some passages I've used through the years to pray for our girls because we're all burdened. Parents, grandparents, you want to pray for your kids around those different topics. Those are some passages that have helped me through the years. And I'll close here with Lucado's quote. I thought Lucado said it best here. God has a heart for hurting parents. Should we be surprised? After all, God himself is a father. What parental emotion has he not felt? Are you separated from your child? So was God. Is someone mistreating your child? They mocked and bullied his. Is someone taking advantage of your children? The Son of God was set up by false testimony and betrayed by a greedy follower. Are you forced to watch while your child suffers? God watched his son on the cross. Do you find yourself wanting to spare your child from all the hurt in the world? God did. He understands your questions. He buried a child too. He hates death more than you do. That's why he killed it. Your child may not be in your arms, but your child is safely in his. So kind of a big picture on the whole parenting. The number one metaphor in Scripture for God is what? It's Father. So in a sense, mom and dad, our vision is to try to go about parenting the lives he entrusts us with in the same measure that he parents us. To me, a mom or a dad, the way the father fathers us. 
And if we could just get some measure and degree of that, because, boy, how much love and grace God never gives up on us, right? And just learning how to go about it His way. Because parenting's hard work. Some of you are so exhausted in the one just that God would refresh you today. And just give you grace for the mistakes, right? You're not going to get it right every time. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with each other. Some of you are really struggling with some challenging stuff with the kids at home. Just stay at it. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep modeling. Jesus will help. He will help us. And you'll be so grateful you kept your hands to this plow. I sit with a lot of parents in a lot of stages of life. And I hear a lot of regret and shame and guilt around a lot of topics. But I still haven't had one conversation with one parent who said to me, man, I wish I wouldn't have put as much time and energy into giving them a vision of God. Giving them a vision of their identity in Christ. Giving them a vision of what it means to be fully alive spiritually. I haven't met one who says, I wish I would have done a little more of that. And so let's band together. Right? Encourage each other. We're all in this together. Moms and dads need encouragement. Some of you are a little farther down the road in this. Find a young mom or dad today and, and give them a high five and encourage them to stay at it because we need to be reminded it matters. It matters so much, even when it's hashtag water slide week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that your grace is sufficient for all of us in this room as parents, as grandparents. I know this topic hits some tender places for some. There's some who've been praying for years for a wayward and wandering child, and we continue to unite our hearts with them that just like the prodigal in Luke 15, you can bring them home. And so we pray for that, Lord. And we pray that you would help us in our own failings and weakness. Maybe we've had the kind of week where we just dropped the ball and fell on our face, and, and maybe there's some conversations we need to have this afternoon where we just look some kids in the eye or a spouse in the eye and say, hey, please forgive me. I messed up. Uh, I want to do better. And uh, I'm going to look to Jesus to help. And uh, Lord, we just pray. I pray that you would help us as moms and dads and, and grandparents. Help us to invest in this next generation, to give them a vision of who you are, Lord. Help us to be a theologically uh, grounded body. Give them a vision, Lord, of our identity and who they see themselves as, in, who they are in Christ. And then help us be a community that models character formation, that this is what it means to live life in Jesus. So thank you, Lord, that you give us the ultimate picture, the way you father us. Help us to mirror some of those qualities in the young lives you entrust to us. In Jesus' name, amen.